0: Welcome to the Operation Miss podcast, where we provide moms with tools to survive pregnancy and thrive postpartum. From healthcare providers and organizations to Miss moms and moms who survive near-death complications, each conversation will equip moms to have a safer motherhood journey, whether preparing for pregnancy, currently pregnant, or recovering postpartum.
1: It is our sincere prayer that all women who listen will leave with a missed mentality, one where she asks questions unashamedly so she can have what she needs to make an informed decision, where she has more trust in her body's design than she does in medical intervention, and where she allows her data to guide her lifestyle so she shows up to motherhood in her best health. Now, let's listen to today's episode.
0: The following episode includes sensitive topics like pregnancy loss, infant loss and traumatic birthing experiences. We advise that you take whatever measures needed to make yourself comfortable during our conversation. This may include listening with a loved one or pausing the audio to breathe and or reflect. If you rock with us, you'll see the rainbow at the end of the combo. Love you listener. Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Operation Miss podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jessica Thompson. We have Catherine here, your other co-host. How are you, Catherine? I am doing great. How are you? I am wonderful. And y'all know we always have a special guest. And today we have Tabria with us. How are you, Tabria?
2: I'm doing well. I'm so grateful that you all chose me to be the special guest for today. So thank you so much we are
0: so thankful that you agreed okay because we love to talk and we know you have so much knowledge to share with us um mm-hmm. i'll let catherine introduce you to to all the listeners
1: yes. okay so i am weird i mean okay so about a month ago maybe or month and a half we were introduced to you because you were having an amazing event in Statesboro and we are so grateful that you decided to include us in that event. So um, just for all of our listeners, that's how we initially got introduced to Tabria, and it has just been a month and a half of falling in love ever since. And it culminated on a last Saturday in Statesboro where we were able to together serve moms because of the love, devotion, commitment and planning that you put into it to Bria. So thank you for what you did then, but even more, thank you for what you always do for moms, because we know that we see just a snippet of it on the day of an event, but we know that so much has gone into it, not just to plan that event, but for you to serve moms on a day-to-day basis like you do. So uh, without further ado, we want you to introduce yourself to the listeners and then maybe talk with us about the genesis of the Mocha Moms event that you put on Saturday.
2: Yeah, sure. So I am Tabria Korpru. Um I am a licensed professional counselor, certified professional counselor supervisor in the state of Georgia and Florida. Um, I am trained in perinatal mental health. And so a um, large piece of what I do is to serve um, that population. I also specialize in treating women of color. Um, And I should probably also announce that I am in private practice. Um, I'm in a solo private practice called Compassionate Counseling and Support Services. So um, I offer therapy support to um, women of color. Um, I I don't limit my services, but I mostly cater to women of color and women who um, are requesting emotional support before, during, or after pregnancy or a loss. Uh, Most recently, I hosted an event called Mix and Mingle with Mocha Mamas. Um, And the goal of the event was for me to connect um, providers of colors who work in different aspects of prenatal care um, with women of color or moms of color in Bullitt County, which is Statesboro, Georgia, where I was born and raised. I thought that would be a good place to start, since that's where I saw the first Mocha Mama. And I wanted to make sure that um, we were to hit on a few different topics or a few different areas that would combat the Black maternal health crisis. I wanted to make sure that moms had resources, information, and tools to take on their prenatal care um, and just their overall um, health in general. And so that was a little bit about... The goal of the event. Um, it was set up in vendor style. I wanted to make sure that I that the that the moms who came in or the women that came in felt comfortable with the providers. I didn't want it to be like panel style where we were talking at them. I wanted to be very collaborative in nature because that's how I feel healthcare should be. I feel it should not not just be the provider telling you what should be done. I think that um, your prenatal care should be very collaborative. Um, and so that was the environment that I wanted to cultivate is very collaborative, very comfortable um, and um, just very friendly, you know. And so I also wanted it to be where the providers looked a lot like moms. Um, So that was Mix and Mingle with Mocha Mamas. That was year one, 2022. I'm hoping that I am able to host that um, around the state of Georgia each year. Um, I don't know if you all are aware, but Georgia is the number one state that is um, uh, at risk or has the highest maternal mortality rates. And so it's very important that we are able to connect with all of the moms of color and moms in general to provide these sorts of services and just to let them know that we're out here.
1: Jessica, I'm like, this is Superwoman right here on our podcast. Yes. Wow. And
0: and thank you for highlighting the poor maternal um, health rates in Georgia in particular, because Mm -hmm. it's a really big deal. And definitely what you did with your event was a way to kind of bridge those gaps and to let moms know, especially moms of color, because we're disproportionately um, affected by those um, negative statistics. Just to show yes. them that there are providers like you who are on your side and willing to serve you. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I was just going to say I love how you gave the description of of how you came up with creating that atmosphere because even as providers we felt special. I mean, you know how to make someone feel special and I feel like with women sometimes that makes all the difference in the world. There were women who talked with us about things that I think if the atmosphere were not the way you said it, that we would never have been able to address their issues. So thank you for setting up the the environment. We believe that in the body as well, what the environment is like matters. So that's why it matters what you eat and what you drink and how you sleep. And you have to create the environment, the best environment for a baby to thrive. So, um, but sometimes we don't know how to do that. Nobody tells us how to do that. So, we're firm believers that you have to combine the advocacy with education and then the collaboration, making sure everybody who needs to be on the team is on the team. And if we can do that, then we could make Georgia a little bit more safe Mm -hmm. to to give birth. Yeah, absolutely. Mm Yeah. So if you want to, we would love for you to talk with us about your birth experience, your birth experiences, because we know that you've had had a couple. So please, go ahead and deep into your story.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thank you for um, allowing me to share this in this space. So I appreciate that. Um, I have two children. Um, The first child, his name is Jonah he was a stillbirth born at 27 weeks um and then the second child is Nova Nova Grace and she um is a a little girl and so um the first experience was not the best experience for me um i was a first time mom um i chose um i was a I, re- I was already doing therapy services so i wasn't you know um I wasn't uh, like in college, you know, I had resources. I had, I had, I had resources, I had education, I had knowledge and um, mm-hmm. in, in information. And if I didn't have them, I had access to re- getting them or receiving them. Um, I chose my provider, um, not really based on a lot of, I guess, necessarily good things. Um, he was a um male provider who was not of color. Um which was fine because at that point, you know, it was just I took him, he was close to my job. If I had appointments, it would be easily, you know, I could easily assess um the doctor's office and um everything was fine, you know. Um no health concerns, no health conditions, um no issues with Jonah at all. Um there was one weekend that I noticed he was not moving as much and so <clears throat> I felt it was just stress you know and I needed to maybe have something to eat or um needed to drink something and so I did and then I still didn't feel anything and so I just remember shaking them a little bit that morning I decided to go into work because I had just had a baby shower at work um they threw me one surprised me one which was awesome um, and then I was going to have one the upcoming week a personal one And so I just kind of shook him and I said, don't you scare me. And so, um, when I got to work, I was a part of a mom group who like had, you know, we were all going to give birth January 20, January, 2020. So I was a part of a group and I kind of just, some just told me just ask like if other moms are experiencing this and I just put in the group, you know, Hey, um, I haven't felt my baby move you know in like a day now and i'm um, 27 weeks and so what do i what do i do and everybody is like oh my gosh you know like you you need to call your doctor asap like go to labor and delivery and i'm like okay so i called my doctor um like the emergency line because it was on a saturday and he was like you know everything's probably fine just go to labor delivery have them you know check and make sure everything is okay and so i went to labor and delivery and i just start bawling because well i went to the emergency room but i start bawling because i knew something wasn't right and um i remember the receptionist saying like it's gonna be okay um i'm sure he's fine just you know just breathe and to me even that that moment it meant a lot for me because i knew that she was just trying to comfort me but i knew that my baby was not well um because of how the history of him moving and i just could tell like he was kind of a very active baby um I went to labor and delivery the Doppler um the nurse she um she used the Doppler and she was picking up my heart my heartbeat and so she just said well I don't want you to panic she said but I'm gonna get an ult- ultrasound technician to come and you know check him out and I said, okay, but I already knew you know I already knew. Um, I'm sorry.
0: Were you alone at this time? Were you by yourself?
2: I was by myself. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to tell my husband um, at that time. I just because he would have had to travel and I just I didn't think it would it was going to be healthy. So I was alone. Um, My boss at that time, she was at work, too. We typically we didn't really work on Saturdays, but I was just coming to kind of um brush up on a few notes and things like that and she was there so i had messaged her and i just told her i'll be right back i'm just gonna run to the hospital um and she was like no problem um i got so fast forward back to when the ultrasound tech came in she came in and um i asked her you know is everything okay and she said she couldn't share that information with me and i said okay um she said that she but i knew that she was also very nervous um because she knew that the baby was not alive and so I could see on the ultrasound that he was not alive too I could see that he was just there um and then two nurses came in and the doctor at that time and I heard him whisper does she know and I said yeah I do know and I just lost it and so um that was like the worst time of my life at that time and I'm getting a little bit emotional So just bear with me, Um, because sometimes when we talk about things that are very traumatic, they can trigger us again. Um, But anyways. You take your
1: time, Mama. We're crying with you.
2: (laughs) The nurse, she, um, she just like walk me to the other room because I would have to give birth to him. And so um, she said, did you tell your husband? And I said, no, but I need to tell somebody. Um, I texted my boss and she was like, I'm on the way up there now. You know, um, my the nurse at that time, she texted my husband and just said, hey, can you come? And he and I, um, we never I never told him what was wrong. He just looked at me and we just like lost it you know so um i gave vaginal birth um to jonah on october the 23rd which is also my um my anniversary me and my husband got we got married on that day um to honor jonah so uh uh i gave vaginal birth um a nurse um and a student um uh Delivered Jonah. Um, and the experience at the hospital was simply awful. And it was I mean, I it was it was awful. And I'll just tell you a little bit about it. Um so first off, my doctor was nowhere in sight. I would have preferred that he was the one deliver Jonah just because I mean, like what's happening, like what happened. I'm not for sure how this came about, but everything was fine i just wanted to be sure that everything was okay with me and try to figure out what happened with him um my doctor's explanation was you know sometimes these things just happen sometimes that you know they're not able to be explained um he like got the placenta like it was like dripping all over the place um they spelled jonah's name wrong on his um like birth certificate or death certificate um I didn't have anything, so we didn't plan to have a baby. So I had like no backpack, no, you know, diapers or anything. I asked, could I get diapers? They said no, um, that I could not get additional diapers at that time. Um, We had family that wanted to come and visit, and it wasn't like a significant amount. It was just our immediate family, like my mom, my husband's mom, and our siblings, and they wouldn't allow them in. They were like being so nasty and rude to them um so much to the point where one of the nurses actually filed a complaint for us and like somebody came in and um like spoke with us or whatever but it was just awful um my doctor at that time um just like had no remorse it almost just felt like you know your baby died and i hope all is well and you know Whatever happens, happens. Um, so it was really horrible. Um, I had no education on like the postpartum piece of things and what it felt like to be dealing with postpartum grief or like you know like pregnancy grief and loss or um, like postpartum depression because I got very depressed during that time. Um, there was no resources, no follow-ups when I went to the doctor's office. Um, for for my OBGYN when I followed up with him, he like was like, Oh, I know I prescribed you this type of medication. I'm like, no, that's the wrong medication. So he like named out a totally different medication. It just was so, it, it felt like just dismissed undervalued. It felt like there was no like aftercare plan. Um, and like, he didn't care to try to figure out what had happened. Right. Um, later on, I suspected um, what had happened. I did write the medical board. So I just, I started therapy um, and I felt like there was something that I had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I did was to make, to put me at ease was to write the medical boards about the, um, like the unequal care or like just the, um, like the dismissive nature of like the, practice it just felt so wrong like it felt so like you know you're young who cares you know whatever and like i said you know i already at that point um been educated i had like a really good ppo insurance um you know i didn't feel like i was like just you know i dress well um, I spoke well, I just felt like I, I didn't understand why it almost felt like my pregnancy loss and my care just didn't matter. Well, fast forward to six months later, um, I um, got pregnant with Nova. Um, wait, wait,
1: wait Tabria. Tabria, can you go back for us for a minute? Um, yeah. For a couple of reasons. Number one, thank you for sharing your story. Yeah, we sure. We meet moms who have stories like yours, and it really breaks our hearts. And that's why we um we've been passionate about working with moms for a long time, long before we learned um, about the maternal health crisis. and but what I'm realizing is the more we get into it, the more we realize that the statistics are right in front of us. like you know how sometimes you know about them. And you know, if it's even in Georgia, because if you don't meet someone who's experienced it, it doesn't, it doesn't hit you the same way. Unfortunately, it doesn't hit me the same way as, as like every weekend now. I'm meeting people, or people are calling us and telling us about it, or emailing us and asking if there is anything that can be done to help. And then we run into someone like you who has happened to, and you're like not only is it real? But I'm going to stop it from happening to other moms. And so thank you for not, not getting stuck in that grief and deciding that you were going to move forward and do something about it. Um, that takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of reliving the trauma, like you said, but it's so that someone else doesn't have to experience that trauma. Cause it's not just the trauma of losing a precious baby or people Assuming that you're just a mother of one, like you said, you're a mother of two, and that's some that's language that needs to be corrected as well. And so you're bringing awareness to how how loss can be dealt with in a more sensitive way. So so thank you. um I am curious if you don't mind, yeah, sure how much time did you have to spend in the hospital after you delivered um, Jonah and then what was the Delivery process, like how do they get you to deliver that
2: early? Um, so I'll answer the last question first. So um, they use pitocin, so that jump started the labor process. Um, they l- allowed it to happen more naturally, if that makes sense um but it did take a while so i stayed a whole week so um excuse me i said that saturday um i found out but it was the 19th um october the 19th on that sunday excuse me and i didn't discharge from the hospital until i believe that thursday um so i stayed for a while and it took a while for me to um start to dilate and um for him to come And that was another kind of, I guess, scare or like, um, uh, not necessarily a scare, but it was seemed very insensitive from my provider. Um, He said that he would have to give me a cesarean section had the baby not come in like a timely manner. So I just thought that was the most insensitive thing to say to a mom um who just lost um but also like i mean i'm not i'm paying to stay in the hospital why is it a rush to mm-hmm. you know i would prefer had preferred to be home but why is it a, and they even asked me after i lost if i wanted to go home and wow. give birth at home um you know they was like you know it's not necessary that you stay and i'm like i'm kind of confused like I just had no education about this at all, right, so yeah that that was the process.
1: Gotcha. okay, we'll keep going to this next beautiful pregnancy and how you got from where you were to six months later to say yes, we'll try again.
2: Mm-hmm. um, well, we never really said we would try again. I guess there was just not a preventative method, so it just naturally happened. Um, we. Um, So Jonah and Nova's expected delivery date were a day apart. So um, Jonah's was January the 22nd. Nova's was January the 23rd. And while it is such a, like, beautiful moment, it caused a lot of anxiety for me. Um, Every single week was the same exact week, you know. And so I had no, I still had no idea what had happened with Jonah. So I was very anxious about Nova. Um, I was going to a provider who, it was a different provider. She was a female provider. She wasn't black, but she was of another ethnicity. Um, and she was also very dismissive. She was dismissive. Um, she would, um, uh, she would talk to my husband more than she would speak with me. Um, she would kind of make a mockery out of some of the questions that I would ask. She was very short. Um, it just almost seemed like she kind of took my pregnancy as a joke. Um, and so at 30 weeks, I decided, you know, no more. Um, and the what was the deciding factor for that was She told me um, one day at a doctor's visit, just a well checkup. She told me that um, because of my stature, that I was going to be more likely to have a C-section. And so we needed to start planning that process. And so I was like, well, I know people personally that are much smaller than me and shorter than I am. And they've given birth to 10 pound babies and mm-hmm. so she was like no you know that's more of a risk and she asked me about my moms and my sis my mom and my sisters and what you know if they had children and how did they deliver and i had shared that they had cesarean, se- cesarean sections but they probably lacked resources knowledge and education and they probably had providers like you who yes. kind of just pushed that concept on them and so um She and I did not see eye to eye. I did not feel comfortable with her. Um, And so I was on search for another provider who I currently work very close knit with now. So she and I are, um, we send each other clients all the time. Her name is Dr. Nikenji Jackson. She's an OBGYN here in Savannah, Georgia, and she's amazing. Um, And much like your response, it was hers was the same. Like she had no idea. She was like, you know. I'm not that good to be able to predict whether or not you have a C-section, but we will try the vaginal birth and we'll do the best that we can. And, um, she was so attentive. Um, they, I didn't know that I was diagnosed with, um, like hypertension. Um, she never shared the provider before Dr. Jackson. She never shared that information with me, but it was in my notes that I had like high blood pressure. Um, And I've never struggled with high blood pressure, but she never shared that information with me. Um, So uh, she also didn't see she didn't deem me as high risk. Um, So when I met with Dr. Jackson, they did deem me as high risk. Um, One was because of my loss that I had experienced with Jonah. Um, And also because of the hypertension and being a woman of color. And so I was able to see a high risk OBGYN, Dr. Keisha Reddick, who I also work close knit with. Um, And she was so, I mean, Dr. Jackson and Dr. Reddick were awesome. They both are providers of color, Um, but she was able to sit down and I was able to share with her my experience. And she wanted to do further testing um, to see what could have possibly been the cause of me losing Jonah Um, and so anyways, Dr. Jackson, she was just, she was the best OBGYN. She literally was like, if you feel comfortable with coming in three times a week, just so that you can feel safe, I'm okay with that. Like, you know, you can come in every day if you wanted to. And so um, she was awesome. They did take Nova a little bit early at 38 weeks because of my anxiety. So I did do an induction, but and I was aware that she wasn't ready, and I knew that I would possibly have a C-section. Um, I didn't didn't want to have one, but I knew that if it came down to it, you know, I I was gonna make sure my child was healthy. So um, Dr. Jackson, she came in and she did every induction method. We did the Foley ball, we did the Pitocin, we did the um, the server deal, we did all methods. she she was very patient. She was not in a rush. she even and she even asked me. She was like, "Hey, you can go home if you want to, and you can wait it out a little bit and you can come back. And you know, I just felt like another provider would have never shared that information. They would have wanted to do a c-section right away. Um, and she was not big on that at all. She was okay with me just waiting. Um, I did have to end up having a c- section. And she did explain to me um why and I felt comfortable with her doing it, although it was kind of traumatic. I, you know, I had just been through all the methods. My last try was the, you know, the last induction method was the Pitocin. Um, I had just gotten like the epidural. So she was so gentle and she called me on the phone and she said, Hey, you're strong. And you've tried everything for your baby, you know, and she said right now her heart rate is dropping and we have to get her out now. And I'm on the way up there now. And so um, she was absolutely amazing. She still is amazing. She um, she was so knowledgeable. She was so gentle with me. She treated me like I was a part of. Um, It was just an amazing experience. And I transitioned um, OBGYNs at 30 weeks. So I wasn't going to allow that last provider to give any, I wasn't going to allow her to do anything further with me. Um, mm. I didn't want her to maintain my treatment.
1: Girl, Jessica, I know you go ahead, Jessica, because you know I'm I'm so proud of you, Tabria. Go ahead,
0: Jessica. Yes, and I've I've spoken with moms a lot who have had concerns and they were brushed off and then they later in their pregnancy 30 weeks 27 weeks whatever they go and get a new provider and they have a better experience whether or not that provider is a provider of color or not it's just someone who will listen to you and someone who will allow you to be a part of your birth experience because with Jonah, it's almost like every it was your body was the vessel for it all, but everything was happening around you yeah. and you had like no control of it, and they also didn't tell you what was going on. And mm-hmm. oh my gosh, and it's so good that the second ob gyn was able to refer you to like a high-risk ob because that should have been off top, especially mm-hmm. just because of your history and them not even knowing for sure how that even happened. Mm-hmm. But the difference from those providers for people who are listening and thinking about maybe switching providers in their pregnancy is that you were an inquisitive patient if you're someone who's had a history like you did and you have some anxiety you have questions and a lot of times for providers they don't like a lot of questions especially questions that they Mm. don't know the answer to Sure. And when they don't know the answer to it they make you feel stupid for asking the question yep. because they feel stupid on the inside because they don't know the answer mm-hmm. but sure. you went to another ob and you know to ask her about the c-section question and she was just like you know i don't know if you will have one maybe you will maybe you're not and that's the answer like sometimes the answer to a patient's question is i don't know and that doesn't mean you're okay. dumb it's just what it is, do really I want somebody to tell me they don't know that to make me sound stupid for ask, asking a question or to tell me a lie or to be rude to me. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's a huge, it seems small, but that matters so much if you have a provider that's willing to tell you, I don't know, but I'll refer you to a specialist. I don't know, but I try to find the answer. That's I don't know, me. but
1: you could come every day. Look, yeah,
0: if you don't watch my baby every
1: day.
2: <laughs> yeah. She was absolutely amazing. Like from the moment that she came in, I mean her and her nurse practitioner, um her name is Gwen, she also came in and they sat with me for hours and they were just like, what other questions do you have? Like, we want to make you feel like this is the like we want that other experience to not I, we don't want your your next birth experience to be like that. And I mean, yeah. even though it wasn't It didn't necessarily go as I had planned it to go. It was way better than um, before. And I mean, I delivered a happy, healthy, beautiful, active baby girl. Um, And um, Jonah and Nova there were my driving forces to do the work that I do today with moms. So, yeah,
1: yes. Now a lot of moms are fearful of swapping providers at 30 weeks. So some of them say, yes, I'm not dealing with this. Even mm-hmm. if I can't explain what it is, it doesn't feel right. So I'm just going to swap, but other people at 30 weeks are fearful of doing it. Was it a hard transition or was it easy to get your information from one provider to the next?
2: Okay. <clears throat> well, it was. It was not the easiest because I had no, I wanted a provider of color. And in this area, there were not many of them. Um, I wanted to, um, be under the treatment of someone that I felt comfortable with. I was not comfortable with men, um, because of the experience that I had with my first male OBGYN, um, and then I just wanted someone who I felt I could really relate to and be honest with and be able to build trust with. I just, you know, so it was a, it took me a couple of days before I was able to um, find someone. And I remember telling the um, person that answered the phone for Dr. Jackson's office. I said, you can tell her that I need her. And so wow. she said, I'll be I'll be sure to transfer that message. And I said, just let her know that I have to see her and that I need her. And wow. so um, that's just been
1: that. Wow. And then the other only other thing I want to hit on so moms understand this or listeners understand this is that you had high blood pressure and did not know it. So I had no you had idea. Con- and if you had continued on with that first provider, then you could have had the same thing happen with Nova that happened with Jonah. Because high blood pressure complicates things and it makes it hard for the placenta to deliver the nutrients that the baby needs Mm -hmm. and for it to take the toxins away. And so Mm -hmm. so when the baby's inside, it cannot continue on without the placenta doing what it's supposed to do. And high blood pressure makes that very difficult. So you got literally sent an angel your way because that identification Mm -hmm. of that. And keeping down your anxiety and whatever else it was that you were doing to
2: keep your blood Mm -hmm. pressure down
1: i i truly believe made all the difference
2: Mm -hmm. and another um issue that would not have been caught was my amniotic fluid was low and i suspect that is what happened with jonah um i was not consuming enough water and i thought i was because that's all i really drink is water but i guess it just wasn't enough i needed to drink like twice as much as water as I was drinking. And um, I was able to, so through my weekly visits, they would do ultrasounds every week. And they noticed that my amniotic fluid was low. And the doctor at that time, because I would see Dr. Jackson and another doctor um, named Dr. Tereo, who who, he was a male, but it was was different. I felt comfortable with him. Um, And he said that, you need to increase your fluid by drinking double the water that you drink. He said, because you can't let it get as low as this number, or we will have to take the baby because she won't have enough fluid to be able to, for her cord to flow as it should. Yeah. Um, So it keeps the pressure for
1: our listeners. The amniotic fluid keeps the pressure off of the, um, off of the, umbilical cord so that oxygen can flow in and blood can flow in and the uh, toxins can flow out and so for the first half of the pregnancy how much water the mom consumes sets the amount of fluid that's in there and then following that time period then the baby's urine is what's keeping it, you know, keeping that fluid level up. And so you have to continue to drink water so that you can help anything that's not happening, you know, on the inside. So I really, I'm so happy you brought that up because people don't understand the importance of amniotic fluid. And Mm -hmm. if they did, then they would drink more water. I really believe Mm -hmm. that. So thank you, Tabria. And And
0: Um, I just want to say this. I think ACOG's recommendation is like over 64 ounces a day. So that's like four bottles like regular standard bar- bottles of water a day. So over there, so like 64 to like 86 Yes,
2: ounces. and
0: then, and then we always really-
1: recommend that as the mom grows, she drinks more water because mm-hmm. we're supposed to have half our body weight in, in fluid and ounces per day. Mm-hmm. And so if a mom, so we can't just say one set number, we have to figure out what is the mom's weight and then how much more does she need to increase to keep her body going the mm-hmm. way it needs to go. So mm-hmm. please keep going to Bria.
2: I suspect that, that it was the issue with Jonah. Um, because when your amniotic fluid is low, your the cord cannot move as freely. And he had, and so what the OBGYN that was treating Jonah mentioned was that it was a cord accident. But he never mentioned anything about my amniotic fluid. So when I delivered Jonah, um, there was the cord that was wrapped around his neck cord that was wrapped around his wrist and cords that was wrapped around his ankles. And so no one ever educated me. And I and I wholeheartedly believe, and I didn't want to get, and I think, you know, I wanted to get my medical records. I never got them, but I wholeheartedly believe if I were to get my medical records, it would probably say that my amniotic fluid was low. No one ever mentioned that to me. No one shared the importance of that um, until I had gotten to Dr. Jackson's doctor's office. And that's when Dr. Toreo said, you need to increase your fluids. And I did. And I came back the next week and he was like, what did you do? You know, and I was like, well, I took it serious. You know, I don't you want to. your baby serious. girl. Yeah. So um, I suspect that because that we never found out what the issue was with me and Jonah. Um, but I suspect that it was the amniotic fluid. Well, too,
1: um, I, I know that they may have explained this to you too. Our kidneys are responsible for uh, keeping our blood pressure regulated, and if we're dehydrated, a signal is sent to the brain to increase the blood pressure because we want to make sure we're that the body's still good. So that's the body's natural response, pregnant or not, is to increase blood pressure if we're dehydrated. And so the so the fluid intake. I say all that to say the fluid intake is so important, especially in us because we're the ones running into high blood pressure during pregnancy so oh my gosh thank you for sharing that yeah of course okay so tell us what is it that you do for moms because i know we're wrapping up um but tell us what do you do day to day to pour into moms
2: sure Um, well, like I mentioned before, I am, um, the therapist and the founder of compassionate counseling and support services. Um, I'm trained in perinatal mental health and, um, I treat women of color. And so a lot of moms will like currently right now on my caseload, I have moms who've experienced loss, um, moms who, um, have had successful IVF. Um, I have moms who are currently pregnant who recently had a baby, um, who has postpartum OCD, postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. Um, And so what my role is, is to um, provide um, emotional and psychological support for those moms. Um, I also am really big on their um, on making sure that I connect them to resources, um, which is why I'm so happy that um, I found you all. Because if even if we aren't able to do anything in person, maybe host something virtual so that I can connect moms to you all because they have a lot of them have no idea about pelvic floor specialists or you know whatever. Um, but I um, work on postpartum care plans with those moms. Um, I educate them on perinatal mood and anxiety disorders because most of the time, no one's ever heard. Even some providers have never heard of, um, of perinatal mood perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. So just educating them on the signs to watch out for um, during pregnancy or um, after pregnancy, um, we. Um, I do a lot of the uh, the administering, like the, the the testing, just to make sure that they, um, if they do have postpartum depression or are struggling with postpartum issues in general, that I'm able to like track that and monitor that. Um, if po- if they have just recently had a baby, a month after, three months after, and six months after, so I make sure that I use the um, Edinburgh um, Postnatal Assessment. Um, And track that, um, their responses. And yeah, so that's pretty much what I do. um, On top of, you know, um, helping them kind of create coping skills and just a safe space to, um, an outlet to be able to express how they're feeling. Um, sometimes a mom doesn't have to experience a loss to be grieving who she thought she would be as a mother or, um, what she thought motherhood would look like. And so that's a little bit about the type of therapy that I offer.
1: Wow. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. And it's a lot of, support that's not offered and and like you said that a lot of moms don't know about and so for us it's important to us too that's why we created this podcast so that we could have people like you on it and tell people exactly what they need so when we have someone who like we had last week someone contacted us and they had just lost babies and it's like they may not they know anybody who's gone through that And then they don't know where to go to find the support for it. So then we connect them with people like you who do this because it's, there's not a lack of help out there. It's a lack of, like you said, knowledge that there is help out there and both are bad, you know, both situations are bad situations Mm -hmm. to be in. So, um, so yes, thank you. Jesse. did
0: you have anything else for this precious woman that you wanted to ask? with your counseling services you service people in georgia and florida i do, do you... okay just those two states.
2: Florida. just those two states for now
0: okay okay yes i'm just i'm just thinking of people i want to refer to you so do you do virtual services
2: i only do i only offer virtual services at this time so that okay. is the only way that we would be able to connect um currently uh-huh. That is
1: so wonderful. Do you know what we're finding? The reason that we get so excited when people talk about virtual services is that the way traditional healthcare is done does not cater to a woman postpartum. And you know that. And I I mean, we all know that, but nobody's changing it. But now everybody's changing it because the ones who care, the ones who know that a mom leaving her house that first week is hard. and She's trying okay. to take her baby to the doctor. Then she, yeah. six weeks later, will go check on herself. Well, what happens between day, you know, postpartum day one in six weeks, she has no support unless she drives out to go get it. So no, no more. Cause we watch and we can see how just using a smart device, how moms are stressed in the car. Moms cannot recover. They can't get quality sleep. Like you're not sleeping at night, but you're running around during the day. So you don't want to choose between your mental health and your physical health. You don't want to choose between taking care of your baby and taking care of yourself. And so now providers like you are saying, you don't have to choose. I can Mm -hmm. be there for you without you even having to leave your house because every child is going to take a nap. And so then we could do our virtual session, get what we need, and then go back to our children and back to our households whole, as Mm -hmm. opposed to, like you said, having those signs and ignoring the signs that something Mm -hmm. is there. And as providers, we're able to pick up on those signs and then refer them to people
2: like you. Mm -hmm. This is
1: wonderful to realize
2: to add to that um i encourage moms to have their children in the sessions i think that just depending on the conversation it can be healthy um i also encourage babies so a lot of times my moms are nursing or changing diapers or um you know putting their babies to sleep in sessions and i always encourage them you know if you ever had to choose between You know, putting your baby down for a nap and mental health. I never want you to choose that. Like, come to your sessions, bring your baby, change diapers. You can take a break. Um, You know, I'm okay with crying. Like, I know, you know, I've had a baby and I know what that feels like. So bring them. So I encourage my moms to bring their babies and have their children in session. I don't mind that at all.
0: I yes. love that because that's really decreasing yeah. the barriers because a lot of times women don't seek the care that they need, whether it's pelvic for PT or counseling services because of the hassle of trying to get to those appointments, especially if they have to take their kids, you know, mm-hmm. people get embarrassed and babies are crying and stuff like that. So thank you mm-hmm. yeah, for yeah. eliminating those barriers. And I feel and I want to ask you this, I know we have to wrap up, but yeah. I feel like just like I believe that women should go ahead and schedule like a postpartum, like screen for pelvic floor issues after baby. I feel like they should schedule like a screening or a session for like counseling services and mental health issues as well. Do you promote that? Yeah, I do.
2: Um, A lot of times when I have moms who are pregnant, we create postpartum care plans in the sessions and so Mm -hmm. um or i'll either and if we don't have time like if they want to use their sessions for processing or you know whatever then i'll assign it for therapy homework and that is a part of the postpartum care planning like okay so how are we going to make this this work whenever you have the baby you know you're going to be tired this is going to be new for you it's going to be a huge transition um how, what what time do we need to meet? And so, yeah, we I make sure that um, I check in on them, even if it's not during a session, just checking in. Hey, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Just wanted to let you know that if you need support sooner than our scheduled appointment that I'm here. So, yeah, most definitely. I I encourage that. And I think that that's necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times a lot of moms go ahead and do a lot of preventative services. So they're mm-hmm. like, well, you know, I know how I am. I know that I'm easy to get into a down mood. Should I go ahead Mm -hmm. and and seek out medication or like, you know, seek out a psychiatrist? And I encourage that. Mm
1: -hmm. And so,
2: you know, if you feel like you are more susceptible to postpartum depression and that, you know, this transition or adjustment is going to be difficult, then yes, let's go ahead and get services set up for that. So um, yeah, that the going ahead and setting a, Therapy appointment is a preventative service. And so mm-hmm, yep, I encourage it. I support it. And I want to see your face in postpartum because it is a lot, it is very, it is my postpartum moms that I struggle with keeping consistency in therapy mm-hmm. because of the barriers that they have with, you know, maybe not having the best support or like a lack of sleep or like feeling like they don't want to have their their baby in the session. And so I try to make it as comfortable. As possible. I want the atmosphere to be baby friendly and I want you to get what you need and still be able to do what you need to do as a mom at the same time.
1: Wow. Well, I know our (laughs) listeners don't want to find you. So (laughs) where are you? How can they find you? Of course, we're going to be pointing them your way anyway. But,
2: sure please share. sure um well again my practice is compassionate counseling and support services um my website is www.compassionatecounseling.llc.net um, um, my email address is hello at compassionatecounseling, uh compassionatecounseling.sprucecare.com. Uh, my contact number is 912 325 9855 you can also find me on therapy for black girls directory and psychology today directory so um if you're ever seeking services or know someone that could benefit from these services then that is my contact information
0: wow thank you so much so much so much for talking to us today and i love the name of your practice and that is compassionate because that's what we're missing so much in healthcare. I feel like that's what you miss the first time and that's what you were gifted with the second time. And that's what we hope, especially in Operation Miss, that all of our Miss Moms and every mom has compassion throughout their birth sp- experience and beyond thank you tabria thank you so
2: much for having me and i appreciate the both of you for what you do to serve moms and babies and um it's just beautiful and i'm hoping that i can connect some of my moms with you all um and that you know um you're able to support them as well so thank you all so much thank you
1: we love you tabria (laughs)
0: Thank you for listening to the Operation Mist podcast. It is our hope that you leave this conversation showered with love and empowered to live.
1: If you are interested in being a part of Operation Mist, please head to operationmist.org to learn more about who we are, what we do, and how we can serve you.